You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, today we continue a sermon series that we have embarked upon in this Advent season, visiting different witnesses to the miracle, different individuals and characters in the story of Jesus' birth who may typically be those faces and stories that we overlook. They're not the Josephs or the Marys even of the world, but people who play an incredibly important role Nonetheless, we began two Sundays ago now with Zechariah. Last week, we visited with Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. And today, we are visiting the story of Mary, just like Ansley shared with our children. But rather than focusing on Mary herself, we are focusing on the one who visits her, an angel. In this case, the angel Gabriel. As we heard in this reading from Daniel, angels play an important role throughout the scriptures. Just as they visited the prophets of old, they show up too in the life and in the story of Jesus. And they show up here in this story from Luke's telling of Jesus' birth, the first chapter beginning with the 26th verse. So friends, let us continue listening now for a word from God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words, and she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the son of God. And now Mary Gabriel continued, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the ways that your word and your love is revealed to us in our lives. 
God, we thank you especially now for the ways that your spirit stirs in our midst. God, we pray that through your spirit, the words in my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here today in your sight would be glorifying and pleasing to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Anyone remember the show Touched by an Angel? Mid to late 90s CBS drama. You remember it? (laughs) Someone's been watching reruns on YouTube, I think. (laughs) So confession, every Sunday night for years growing up, my family, my brother, me, my parents, seven or eight o'clock, whatever time it came on, we gather there around the TV in the family room to watch the latest episode of Touched by an Angel. Now, for those of you who don't remember or perhaps never watched the show, the concept was this. There was this group of angels that were led by Monica and Tess. They were part of the casework division of heaven. They got sent down to earth each week uh, to some person or some situation. Usually there's some crisis unfolding, some difficult decision, some crossroads that people are standing at. Just to tell you all how deep the Dyers got into Touched by an Angel, I remember one year, my big Christmas gift, and this is not a joke, my big Christmas gift was a signed photo from the entire cast of Touched by an Angel. I think it even said, to Alan on it. This was like pre-eBay, pre-Amazon, like phone calls were made to acquire this photo. And it was a big deal. That was like the last present I got to unwrap under the tree. But I remember as I got older, right, I began to ask myself, is this really how God works? Right? Are there angels? And if there are, do they drive red convertibles and walk around with foo-foo dogs and wear trendy jeans and all the rest? It's interesting because this story from Luke's gospel, the story of the Annunciation, Gabriel's visit to Mary, I think is in many ways an answer to that question. And the answer we get here to that question of, is this how God works? The answer is yes, most definitely. And no. Yes, in the sense that there are messengers to use that language that Ansley was talking with our children about. Right? God speaks to and works through messengers here on earth. It's worth noting that in the story of Jesus' birth alone, there are three instances of angels showing up. Of course, in this story, earlier two Sundays ago, you'll recall the same angel, Gabriel, visits who? Zechariah, right? And then next week, we'll visit the shepherds out in the field, and an angel appears to them as well, who's later joined by a whole host of angels. Right? There's something that is clear here in the scriptures that God does work through messengers. And that those messengers in many ways reveal the fact that our God is not one who sits far away on some throne just watching what's happening down here, but rather that God is one who chooses to be intimately involved in our lives and in the life of this world. But at the same time, it's interesting to me that there's so little attention paid here to appearance. 
Right, Just like Ansley was noting in the children's Bible, there's no description here of Gabriel's wingspan, just how far it reached. There's no description of the shape of his halo or the features of his face. Right, There's no hour-long buildup here either to really tee us up for just who Mary is, just how deep she is in conflict or the exact nature of the crossroads she is standing at. This is the first place in Luke's gospel where Mary's name shows up. And all we're told is she's a teenager, yet to have relations, who's betrothed to be married. Nothing else. This is not a great CBS drama on Sunday evenings here. In fact, there's so little information given to us that would make this drama worthy. We're simply told here is a young girl and here is the messenger who is sent to deliver a message to her. Right, the issue at hand here in Luke's telling of the story is not so much what the angel looks like or even why the angel is there. The focus here instead is on the angel's words. I didn't do the math, but I bet if we calculated up all the words in this passage we've just read and then figured out how many of those words were Gabriel's words, I bet 80% of this passage was simply the angel speaking. That's where the focus of this story is. It is on what the angel has to say. And what the angel has to say here to Mary is that God sees something in her, something holy, that she either does not or cannot or maybe even is not willing yet to see in herself. There's this great story about Michelangelo, the sculptor, not the turtle. Come on. Yeah, right? We get cultural references. There's a great story about Michelangelo, the sculptor, one day rolling this big old slab of marble down his street. And there was a neighbor sitting on his porch, and he yelled out to Michelangelo and said, Michelangelo, why are you bothering? Why are you laboring over that plain old rock? And Michelangelo, it is purported, responded by saying, because there is an angel in this rock that is waiting to come out. There's an angel in this rock that's just waiting to come out. You know, I suspect when the angel speaks to Mary here, it doesn't feel like that much of good news. Right? Imagine being in Mary's shoes. I mean, there had to have been so many things pinging around in her head. How am I going to explain this to my parents? What is my neighbor going to think? How is this even biologically possible? Right? I bet Mary is terrified in this story. There's that line where it says she's perplexed in our version of it. Others say that she's deeply troubled. This probably doesn't strike Mary, the angel's words, as being particularly good news at first. In fact, she asked him, how can this be? But what does the angel say to her? Gabriel says, do not be afraid. I'm struck by the fact that in each instance in the story of Jesus' birth, when an angel appears, 
Every single time, the angels say the same thing. Every one of these instances, from Zechariah to Mary and next week to the shepherds, every time the angels say to them, do not be afraid. I think God knows that when God speaks, sometimes it is terrifying. It's probably always surprising. And sometimes, too, what God has to say may not be exactly what we want to hear When we go back and you do an inventory of all the encounters in the scriptures where people come face to face with an angel, it's not always happy news the angel has to say to them. Sometimes it's words of judgment. Sometimes even it's words of destruction. But there's a sense in the angels telling Mary, do not be afraid. There's a sense that even when what God has to say is hard or scary, it is always good news. And the good news that this angel speaks to Mary is that God sees something in her that is holy, that is sacred. Mary, do not be afraid, Gabriel says, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel, what do you see in that teenage girl from Nazareth? What? Nothing happens in Nazareth. What could you possibly see in that rock of a girl? God sees an angel in Mary. God sees something holy within. I think we know that we are in the presence of an angel. Have you all ever felt like you're in the presence of an angel? I think we know we're in the presence of an angel when we find ourselves in the presence of someone or something who sees underneath the surface, who sees something holy within us. I remember I've had this joke for a while now that if you want empirical evidence of angels on earth, all you have to do is go by a church preschool nursery room on the very first day of the year. And there you will literally witness angels at work. I remember most years, and I did it this year too, whenever our church preschool on their first day, I would sort of go down and say hello and give a little pep talk. And you'd walk past that nursery room, especially with all the really littles, and they'd be screaming. And then you go back to your office, and like an hour later, you would walk back by the door, and guess what? They are still screaming their heads off. (laughs) And yet the teachers in there, so remarkably calm. How do they do that? They're certainly not doing that because they're getting paid to do it. I mean, they are, but they're not getting paid enough. Right? How do they maintain that calm? And the only thing I've been able to come up with where it sort of moved from a joke to to some actual deep theological reflection is the fact that those teachers, they see something sacred. They see something holy beneath the surface in the heart and the being of each and every one of those children. Right? We know we're in the presence of an angel when we're in the presence of someone like that, someone who goes about their lives seeking to empower the Marys of the world, the least, the lost, the lonely. We know we're in the presence of an angel when we're in the presence of someone who dedicates their life 
to crack in the hard surface of those systems that empower injustice in our world. Just a few weeks ago, back there in that back room, I sometimes like to just acknowledge the people in the large private dining room because I can see you all. I'm glad that you all are part of worship with us. But just a few weeks ago, we gathered about 20 different people in that room on a weekday for lunch. They were different community leaders, but mainly different pastors and representatives of a broad swath of churches across our city. We were there. Dr. Russell Booker from SAM was given a presentation about some research that he and others had encountered on a trip to Cambridge. Actually, our city manager was there with him as well. And he had come because this research revealed that there is actually value in faith communities. And in the role that faith communities can play in helping to love and nurture and provide for upward mobility for neighbors here in our own community. So he had come to sit with this room full of faith leaders. And it struck me in that time that, you know, in a very real sense, I was sitting in a room of angels. Of people who could have done just about anything else with their day. There was one guy who took off work early, took a pay cut for that day just to be there because they see in their work and in their life's mission value in every single one of their neighbors. They see something holy within those who may live in a different part of their community, who may not shop in the same grocery store, who they may not cross paths with soon or ever. And yet they are people who we need to be gathering ourselves to learn how we can truly be hand in hand as neighbors in our community. That's the work of angels, don't you think? I think, too, of every time, every time one of us picks up the phone or opens the door to go and visit with someone who is suffering. And not just go to visit with them, but to go to visit with them despite our own insecurities and fear about whether we have anything we could possibly say to that person that could change their life. Right? That's going with a a quota of trust. That God sees something holy in us. That God will equip us with the words and with the presence to share with others something that might help them to see the angel within. So is this actually how God works? The story of Gabriel and Mary? Yes. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't always mean that God works through people who drive red convertibles or who look like they belong on a sitcom on national television. It doesn't mean that God only works through people who have the exact right words at the exact right moment every single time. But it does mean that God can and does work through messengers who look a whole lot like you and like me. So the real question of this story is not so much are there angels in the world, but do we notice them when they're in our midst? Because it's only, it's only when we notice them that we can respond. 
Notice how this story ends. Mary notices the angel in her midst, and she responds, Here am I, Lord, your servant. Let it be with me according to your word. Gabriel, why bother with a rock like Mary? Because there's an angel within. Friends, that's the same question for each of us. Why bother with that person, with that situation that God has placed in front of us? Because there is an angel within. Friends, may our response this day and always be the same as Mary's. Here we are. Here we are, God. Use us. Let it be with us according to your word today and always. Friends, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. May it be so. Amen.